you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4 as we conclude our series in the book of Philippians. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 4 of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're looking at this idea of peace in the midst of an anxious world in which we live. As we're trying to understand and understand better, how do we dwell in the kingdom of God even while we live in the city of man? One of the things that we see jumping off the page and we see it in the last couple of verses that I just read is Paul's contentment. He is content in any and every situation. Let me reread this again in case it glossed over you. I don't think it did, but in case it did, let's reread it again. Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, what's amazing about this is if you know anything about Paul's life. In other passages of Scripture, as well as in the book of Acts, Paul lists off some of the challenges that he's dealt with. You know, he was somebody who was hated by his own culture because he came to faith in Christ. So he was rejected and hated by people. Numerous times he had been beaten, literally beaten with with rods and in other ways scourged. He had been shipwrecked three times. That means three times he thought he was going to die, was probably drowning in the ocean. Three times he had been drowned in the ocean. And one time he had been stoned, which means they had executed him. Paul had literally been executed and survived. And he had been in prison countless times. And now he was in prison again. And he says, I have learned how to be content even in these things. Not only that, he actually talks in this passage about having peace. In verse 7, he, he says, you know, in, in these prayerful things and all this stuff, he says, and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, all understanding, your ability to figure it out yourself, you can't get this peace on your own, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
And in verse 9, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Contentment, peace, and lastly, he calls us into a life of rejoicing and gentleness. At the beginning of the passage that I read, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice always in any situation. Have joy no matter what. And let your gentleness, the English Standard Version actually translate that, translates that reasonableness. But most other translators in the root of that word is actually gentleness, graciousness, kindness, and openness and lovingness, right? That's what he's calling the church in Philippi to, to be filled with contentment and peace and joy and gentleness that is known to all. And then he sums that up, or it can be summed up in the negative exhortation in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Now, that's really hard for us because we are a particularly anxious culture. You know, most of the studies that have been identifying, especially um, each progressive generation, has found that as you're moving into each new generation, there's an increasing amount of mental health depression and anxiety. That from millennials to Gen Z, it's an increasing number. And so the study that came out in 2016 that had been tracking uh, hundreds of thousands of college freshmen said um, in 2016 that almost 60%, almost 60% of college freshmen reported feeling overwhelming anxiety. Overwhelming anxiety, almost two-thirds of them. And uh, a study of teenagers aged 12 to 17 that's been going on for a number of years noticed a, an, a more than 50% increase in major depressive episodes for, uh, for teenagers between like 2010 and 2016. So just in a five, six year span, the increase of major depressive uh, and anxiety-filled episodes. We're a continually anxious culture, fear-filled, overwhelmed. And there's a lot of contributing factors, but, and I'm not gonna get into those, but just to, to imagine, you, you know this, if, if you're uh, somebody who deals with the anxiety and worry of life or is a family member of somebody, it's a present part of who we are. And even if you don't deal with it on a severe level, every one of us knows worry and anxiety. Our whole lives are filled with anxiety and worry about money or health or success, whether that's at school or sports or in your marriage or in career. And then we have anxiety about every relationship that matters. If we're not married, we want to get married. If we're married, we're worried about our marriage. You want to have kids, you can't have kids. You have kids and then you worry about them the whole time that they're alive and you're alive. We worry about our close friendships and how we're fitting in, anxious about the things we said the night before and about whether people approve and like us. We are constantly worried. And what we find, if you really kind of dig down, is we worry most about what's most important to us. We're constantly worried about getting something that we really want. Or even once you get it, the fear that you might lose it. And so anything that feels like a threat can bring up our, our anxiety, our stress, our anger. And that's where we are in 2020. A time of incredible anxiety and stress. Between uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, 
the economic downturn, and the political turmoil that we're in. We've had an election that just took place a few weeks ago that has just been an anxiety-filled election for the months leading up to it. And as Christians, we've continued that as well, unfortunately. We've very often responded to things like the political turmoil in our country with anxiety and fear. We have anxiety and fear about this country that we're a part of. And then it's really an anxiety and fear about our place as the church, as Christians. What will happen if these people get in power, if these people get in power? And it's our rights, our interests, ourself that we're worried about. As a church, I want Christ Church Vienna to be known for joy and gentleness and peace that Paul talks about. So how do we do that? You know, the, the ancients and the Eastern philosophies have all had ways of finding peace. Um, Greek philosophy, especially the Stoics, built this whole ethos of indifference, this way of thinking about everything that it, it doesn't really matter. So don't worry about your marriage or about your money or about if you're a true philosopher, you have indifference. Eastern religions have always built up or have more recently built up detachment. Detach yourself from desires. Don't want anything. Don't love anything too much. And of course, the problem with both uh, indifference and detachment is that they minimize joy and they minimize love and the life to the full now because you essentially have to detach yourself from the joys, pleasures, as well as the suffering of this world. Christianity built out of the Jewish and Christian biblical ethic is never indifferent to the world around us. From the very beginning in Genesis 1, God creates the world and says, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And the entirety of the scriptures is pointing towards the restoration of this creation life. In other words, creation and the life we live is not something to be indifferent about, but to embrace, to love, to enjoy, even with all of its suffering and challenges. Modern Western peace is not found through indifference and detachment. It's actually found through management. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but if you think about it, how do we get peace in our lives? Well, one way is techniques, right? I mean, if you're anxious about something, you try doing something else or thinking about something else. So I'm anxious about X, and so if I, if I just get my mind to think about Y, or if I do Z, then I'll forget about X, or I'll... I'll even, you know, we, we, we might try to control it, manage it in our head, thinking about how can I solve this problem that I'm anxious about? If I'm anxious about my future income, maybe I can invest more, right? So it's a management technique. Or we find peace through self-medicating. I mean, that can look like entertainment, pleasure escape, sleeping, alcohol, meds all to achieve a temporary detachment. <laughs> it, but, you know, it's like um, taking something that we think is going to solve our problems, but really it just pushes it away for a little bit. It's a temporary peace brought on by pot or drinking or sleeping or Netflix. All of it, though, in the West is control. All of it is actually built around the idea of control. 
We seek peace in the West by controlling things. We want to minimize our risk, which is what we're anxious about, or try to fix our problems. We're trying to control them. We want to protect what matters to us, and we want to control the outcomes. So I know not everybody that's watching right now has kids, but kids are a great example of where we can become very controlling very quickly because of worry and anxiety, right? Um, we worry about them because we love them, right? So you worry about your kids. So what do you do? You try to control what they do and with whom and when they do it. We want to keep them from bad stuff as we've determined it's bad. We want to protect them from hardship and from suffering and from loss. We want to keep them alive. We want to get them involved in, in things that are going to benefit them. And so what do we do? We get really involved in their lives. We get involved in their classroom, in their sports teams. We want to make sure they make the team, that they're succeeding in school. We get them the tutors. We get them the training. We get everything so that their life can be successful. We want them to be happy because we worry about their happiness. We want them to be safe because we worry about their safety. But of course, as any of you who have older kids know, you can't. You can't control these things. You can't control your kid's faith. You can't control your kid's avoiding suffering. You can't control it any more than you can in your own life. You know, we get anxious about what we worry about, and we worry about what we love the most. And so we try to control it, protect it, guard it, guarantee its outcome. And we tell ourselves, like with kids or something like that, that it's loving and caring that, we, that are motivating us. That we're just showing our love for our kids. But it's actually control. And control is not love. Control is fear-driven. It is selfish and self-concerned. Peace doesn't look like control, actually. Peace comes from knowing you are loved by the one who is in control. And being able to entrust what you worry most to him. It's, peace comes from being able to entrust your worries, your loves, to the God who loves you. It's in handing over control that you're finally able to love and free yourself and the person you do love. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate this peace that enables us to hand stuff over? Well, Paul gives us a couple of things in the passage. We see how we can cultivate this peace in verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So basically, Paul is saying, in everything, at all times, with every little thing and every big thing, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray through everything. And not just your worries. And like I said, not just the big things. Not just you have some major issue going on in your life. Pray constantly because prayer is ultimately about a relationship with God that you're cultivating as you bring your constant thoughts, worries, joys before God and with God to let him walk with you, which is essentially what prayer is. It's God intervening in your life as you invite him in through your thoughts 
and your actual conversations and your desires being brought before God. With worries, we try to fix it or protect it or attack the threats. So think about that. When something feels threatened, like our place in this country or your kid's happiness, what do we do? We try to protect it and we defend it and we will attack it so that anybody who feels like a threat becomes an enemy we have to get rid of. We try to fix it, solving problems like we do at work when it's anything that we're worried about. Paul says, just pray. Not just pray, but praying is giving it over to the one who actually is in control. And that's why he says, pray, and he uses four or five different uh, verbs and, and terms to talk about prayer, prayer and supplication and requests. And he says, and do so with thanksgiving. As you're praying, as you're praying these things, your requests, your worries, give thanks to God. Now, the strange thing about this is he's saying give thanks to God before God's even answered the prayers. How do you know how God's going to answer the prayer? Maybe you don't want to thank him. But Paul says, give thanks to God before you get the answers because you are actually entrusting to the God who you know loves you and knows the best for you. There is peace when you can entrust things to God. The peace to say, thy will be done and hand it over to a God who loves you and who is in control. Pray is the first thing Paul invites us into to cultivate peace. The second is think. He says in verses eight and nine, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, when we, um, we are anxious, we think about our worries and we try to solve them or fix them. Many of us, just that's what, that's what worry is. It's you ruminating on something that, that matters to you that you cannot control, right? And so you try to come up with solutions. How can I get this problem solved? How can I manage this relationship? How can I guarantee my kid's success? How can I deal with this issue at work? The things we worry about, we think about. But thinking can often be worry as we're just kind of trying to solve it, fix it, solve it, fix it. Paul says, don't think about those things. If you're dealing with anxiety and you want peace, don't think about the thing that you're trying to solve. Instead, think about what is honorable and pure and praiseworthy. And, and it's a list, what's called a virtue list in Greek writing, which basically means these sorts of things. It's not that you have to pick apart each word. It's like Paul's talking about all these good things, which basically makes us understand that Paul is actually talking about God. There is one who is underneath and behind all of these terms and terms like them. It's the God who made us. So he's saying, think about the nature of God, the work of God in Jesus Christ on the cross. Think about God's love for you. Think about who God is and all of his trustworthiness and greatness and glory. And let your mind go towards whatever points you to God. You know, we've talked about in our church the difference between a sacrament and something that's sacramental. The sacraments of the church are those um, elements of bread and wine and water in the baptism and in the Lord's Supper that are, are ways in which God's grace is communed to us. But sacramental means 
things in this physical life that reveal God, point us to God. And so much of life can be sacramental in that sense. And I think in some ways what Paul is inviting us into is he says, think about these things is, is to think about, is to engage in beauty and the enjoyment of food and great literature and time with friends and writing a letter and appreciation of art. All these things that are part of the beauty and joys and tastes of life. And what Paul is inviting us into is a life of thinking deeper thinking deeper about these good things, thinking deeper than entertainment and escape. You know, just as a simple example, it takes a lot more thought to watch an entire feature-length film than it does to watch TV, YouTube, TikTok. A 90-second, 5-minute, 22-minute episode has a different uh, narrative trajectory, character development, than a two-hour movie. There's something in even the ability to sit down and watch a longer movie that is a part of thinking well, letting your mind be carried away by the gifting of a director or a writer or an actor. And of course, the same is true for the things that we read. There's a big difference between uh, novels and long articles and a Twitter post. And the ability to just read and think and reflect and follow a story or follow an argument. And of course, there are so many ways in which we can let our mind go deeper. Listening to an entire album or orchestral piece, cooking with actual ingredients, taking a longer walk, sitting just to sit and think and observe and not do something appreciating the goodness of the creation life. Appreciating the goodness of the creation life reveals God and brings us to worship. When Paul says, think about these things, he's not just talking intellectual, he's talking about um, engage in practices that allow your mind to be directed towards God in every possible way, through all the senses in which God has given us, so that we are transformed Godward, filled with that peace. It says then in verse 9, and God's peace will be with you. Do these things and God's peace will be with you, which brings up the question, isn't God's peace always with us, right? Like, you know, you're a Christian, so God's peace should always be with you. But I think what Paul is getting at is in the process of praying, praying continually, in the process of thinking deeper, reflecting on the goodness of God, enjoying the sacramental life, we experience God's presence. We experience God's embrace, his pleasure, his smile, as we are in these things more and more. And so we pray, we think, and lastly, I want to point out that Paul had to learn this himself. In verses 11 through 13, Paul writes, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had to learn contentment is what this is telling us. 
He wasn't uh, gifted at contentment and peace. He was, it wasn't natural to him. Nor does it say that he prayed for it and the Holy Spirit fell on him and all of a sudden he had contentment and peace. Rather, what we know about Paul is that he says he had to learn it. And if you go back to Paul's earlier life in the beginning parts of the book of Acts, when he was probably about 30, 35 years old, we know that Paul did not have peace. The thing that was most important to him was uh, his Jewish heritage and the synagogue and the temple. And when he felt it was being threatened by Christianity, he was worried and anxious and resulted in, in what happened is he attacked Christianity and he attacked Christians. He was there um, at the execution of Stephen, and then he went hunting down other Christians. In his worry and fear, he wanted to attack and fight. That was his solution when he was younger. He didn't have peace. He's writing Philippians in his 60s, so it's 30 years later. Enough has happened where he has come to know Christ, and he has cultivated through prayer and deep thought and a sacramental life in the ways that he might have lived that. He has cultivated peace over time so that now though he's been beaten shipwrecked and even now he's in prison in rome and could be executed tortured at any moment he has peace not anxiety and fear not spewing out threats at his enemies or those who want to do him wrong he is at peace but that has taken 30 years or some amount of time to cultivate here's the sum of it the inner life the inner spiritual life of peace and joy and gentleness and contentment is cultivated over time. You cultivate it like a garden. It doesn't just spring up. It doesn't just happen. You actually have to work over time. And in my experience, rarely have sitcoms or CNN or Facebook caused this. Nor have sports or to-do lists or carry-out restaurants. And I love sports. And I, I used to enjoy sitcoms. But these things don't bring about that deep peace, joy, gentleness that must be cultivated. We are what we love. And we love what we do most and do most habitually and continually. I'm basically borrowing from James K.A. Smith from his book, you are what you love, where he writes this. The orientation of our heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. You know, this Advent and Christmas is going to be unlike any other that we've had. It's going to be unlike any other because it's going to be hard. It's going to be lonely and it's going to be disappointing. And it's going to continue to be filled with the possibility of worry and fear around the political and economic and COVID-19 situations. This Christmas will be unlike any other, hard and lonely and disappointing. Or, or, or it can be deepening and reorienting. It could be a peace-filled preparation for a long winter. So perhaps for the next four to six weeks, Advent begins next Sunday. For the next four to six weeks in the Advent and Christmas season, um, maybe think about a few things in your life you could turn off. A few others that you could begin. And try to remember your first love.
cultivate prayer and thought and the presence of God in your life. Become the man, the woman of joy and gentleness and peace so that we as a church can be filled with joy and gentleness and peace. And to be people and a people of peace in a chaotic, contentious, and fear-filled world. Let's pray. God of peace, let us rest in your love and learn to pray and think and cultivate the inner life of walking with you, understanding who you are, and being filled with peace and joy and contentment. Amen.